Yeah. It can event. Yeah. I'm in the search for peace at least and a better spot to settle. My brother said the Americans haven't. Hey everybody, welcome to the show, Community Spread. I'm your host, Kevin Lundell. And for our avid listeners out there, you will know that this podcast is coming to you a day later than it normally does. And the reason for that is, is that we had the content all queued up for what we were going to release to you today on Wednesday. However, uh, right as we were about to release it, the events happened today where an angry mob of Trump supporters stormed the Capitol building. They got past four levels of security. They breached barriers. They broke windows. They scaled fences. They got inside the Capitol building where they went through the halls of the Capitol. They got into the Senator's offices. They got into the house of Congress. And just think about those words for a minute. An angry mob of Trump supporters breached the Capitol building where they were holding a vote to certify the election of the next president of the United States. I cannot believe these words are coming out of my mouth. You know, we should be surprised because it's unprecedented, but we should also not be surprised. This is the Republican Party reaping what they have sowed for years and years and years. Back to Sarah Palin. Trumpism is just a symptom of what has been occurred, occurring for a long, long time. You know, I went through a lot of emotions today. On the podcast today, we have Denise Ortiz, who is a dreamer. And as I was thinking about the prospects after the voting in Georgia of a Senate controlled by Democrats, I started thinking about all the progressive ideals that could come to pass. We could do away with the filibuster. We could pass the DREAM Act. We could make democratic, democratic reform possible by making D- Puerto Rico and D.C. a state. We could dramatically change this country in the next couple of years because of those elections. I was ecstatic this morning. I got a vaccine yesterday. The world is changing and good things are happening. And then we had to live through this. And I looked at the images, the images of the rioters inside our Capitol building waving Confederate flags with their Trump flags, spraying police officers with pepper spray. And yet, really, what was happening to them? I think everyone in this country knows what would have happened to that angry mob if it was full of black and brown faces. And then I started seeing contrasting images with the images that were taking place this summer when we saw the protests surrounding the Black Lives Matter movement and the brutality that was placed on those people as they tried to demonstrate. And I found my thoughts turning to the friends that I've had on this podcast, to Jazzy, to Michael and other Michael and to John 
and to Rachel and these folks who must be in such pain today as they had to endure the summer of watching the protests that they did for their rights end in brutality and with very little change to now have to turn around and watch on live TV this protest happen and watch these people with white skin faces taking selfies with some of the police officers being escorted ever so gingerly down the steps of the Capitol as they were leaving in some cases and really just knowing in their heart of hearts that if they were there, if their community were there, trying to do any sort of thing like that, that there would be bodies laying in the street. I'm wholly inadequate to speak to this moment and to anyone's feelings around that, but I just want them to know that I'm thinking about them tonight, and that my heart's heavy. And I'm mad that my heart's heavy because today was supposed to be a great day. Today was a day of celebration. Today was a day when we could think about the progress that could possibly be happen over the next several years as it was historic for the black community today. Stacey Abrams rallied black and brown votes in Georgia to single-handedly bring that state to, to the Democrats and bring the Senate into the Democrats' favor. And historic change can happen because of that. This was a day when we were supposed to celebrate. This was a day that was supposed to be Stacey Abrams' day. This was the day that started with the memes and the beautiful pictures of this powerful black woman who has altered the course of history. That is how this day started. And it ended with an angry white mob storming the Capitol building with very little resistance from the police that were there. So while we reflect on that reality, we'll get an opportunity to hear from Denise Ortiz. And we'll get to live in the conflict that is real progress that has been made in her lifetime that has allowed her to buy a house and allowed her to start to live that American dream. But also the fact that there are so many injustices that come to her and her life because she's not a documented citizen. So while today made us really reflect on a lot of the injustices that still exist in the world today, we can still have hope for that progress. That progress that happened to Denise when President Obama signed the DACA executive action and the progress that can happen under President Biden and a Democrat, democratically held Senate and House and what that could mean and what could possibly mean for our country. So live in that hope for at least a minute as we hear this conversation from Denise Ortiz. Look how far we all came, we made it to the slip to surprise. Though the prophecy says we all been to a brass. Spread the word, let it be known the heaven set to survive. Right here, live in the flesh. Well, welcome, Denise, to the pod. We're super happy to have you on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on and creating this space for people like me. We can awesome. share our stories. 
Absolutely. It's, it's certainly my pleasure. So Denise is a dreamer and she is married to a dreamer. And tell us a little bit about what that means. Yes. So um, a dreamer, um, we have DACA. What DACA is, is um, a work permit that was given through the presidency. Um, well, well, President Obama was um, in the White House. He um, signed an executive action to, so that we could be able to um, have a job, you know, be able to buy a house. Um, because in the past we didn't have a social security number, um, so, any type so, of. So both you and your husband, by, by Dreamer, we, you were brought to the country by your parents at, at a pretty young age, right? Is that, is that right? Yes, yes. So we were brought here um, without any documentation. And I came here when I was 10 years old. My husband was seven. So I've been in the country for 18 years and I consider this my home. Ogden is yeah. home to me. Ogden is home for you. Yes. And, and so DACA is the, the deferred action for childhood arrivals, which means you have certain, you got certain protections under, under the Obama administration. Is that correct? Yes. Um, and that happened um, back in 2012. So it's been six years that I've been able to, you know, take advantage of this program. And in those six years, I feel like I was given so much hope. Um, well, I guess two years after that, you know, and then the last four years where President Trump has been in the White House has just kind of been a roller coaster of emotions and having to figure out, you know, where, where do I stand in this country? If wow. I feel secure enough to be here or, you know, just a lot of uncertainty and, um, really not knowing what, what my future is going to be like. Yeah. And we, and we want to get into all of that for sure, because, you know, when, when DACA happened and you were able to get this deferred action, it meant that basically you could uh, now uh, live your life without that sort of fear of, of deportation. You could really enter the, 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 the workforce without fear or go to school or any of those other things. Um, right. Right, and you had you suddenly had all of those protections. Mm -hmm. So I want to get definitely get back in and talk about what that meant to you and and how that shifted as as uh, President Trump was elected in 2016. Uh, but let's go back and talk about your family and um, when when you came, you and your family ended up coming to the United States and and what that was like for you. So so when did your family? Uh, first start to come to the United States? So my grandpa was the first one to come out here. And that was probably in the early 1990s, maybe late 80s. Um, he migrated to California and that's where he lived for a while. And then my uncles um, followed him here. Um, they were all there just working the fields and um, their wives, my grandma stayed back home. And eventually my uncles brought their spouses here with them and their kids at that time did they kind of travel did they go back and forth a bit you know going to make money and then coming home or did they just come one time and and stay um my grandpa would come and then he would go back like maybe once a year just to see my grandma and see his kids um but it was really hard on her just because she had 10 children that she needed to take care of and Whoa. 
Yeah. And children. That's a big yeah. family. So your this is your uh your mom, right? Your mom's mom and dad. <laughs> yes. And so she's from a family of 10. She's from a family of 10 and she's the oldest. So she and kind I, of always took that responsibility of, you know, being being the oldest daughter and then not having her dad back home, she had to help my grandma with a lot of things. And I would imagine, I mean, even in the United States, uh, a really, really wealthy nation, uh, making ends meet for a family of 10 is difficult. Yes. What, what was that like for your grandparents uh, in, in Mexico? Um, my mom always talks about living in, I guess, a little small shack with her other nine siblings. And if they had like a bowl to eat of boiled beans, then that was their greatest meal. And just basically living off the land, um, anything that they could get from my grandpa's parents, which were around a lot. So it was really difficult for them. So I think um, that was probably his motivation and wanting to come back here and work in the States to be able to provide for them and give them a better life. Yeah, kind of probably the sort of poverty that Mm-hmm. I mean, I certainly have never even um, am able to com- really comprehend and not knowing where, where food's coming from and, and uh, you know, some beans is your, your best meal. That's the sort of thing that I, I have never had to even really uh, come to understand or, or think about. What did your, grandparent, your, your grandpa do when he got here? What, what sort of work was he doing? Um, as far as I know, I know that he was just picking vegetables, whatever the work was in the fields in California. And then once everyone else came here, um, my uncles and their wives were able to come. They all came to Utah. And then that's where we ended up, (laughs) my mom and I. Yeah. You ended up, yeah, everybody ended up in Utah. Um, Yes. So tell me about that experience. Um, Do you have recollection of you and your mom moving here uh, to, to Utah? Yes. So the previous DACA recipient that you had on your podcast, Alfredo, right? Yeah. Yeah. So just like him, I'm from Guanajuato as well. So we're from the same hometown. Oh, um, really? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I thought that was so cool when he mentioned that. So um, that's where I'm from. And then my mom and I, we migrated to a border town, um, Ciudad Juarez. And I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's known for high rates of crime. Um, a lot of feminicide. There's a lot of women that go missing. Um, they're murdered and people just don't know why that keeps happening. But most have probably figured out that it's just corruption and it's the own government that has caused that. So that's where we ended up when I was seven. And then we were trying to get all of, all, all of our paperwork done to come here and then visit my grandpa. And that's what ended up happening. So it was a summer of 2002. Um, We got our traveler's visa, I guess, tourist visa. And then we came, um, we got here July 3rd of 2002, right before July 4th, Independence Day. And it was pretty exciting. I was scared and sad because I wasn't sure if I was going to go back. But I was excited because I had never met my grandpa. And the whole time that we were back in Mexico, my grandpa was here. And so I didn't know who he was. And I knew I had cousins too, but I didn't know them. So I was really excited to be able to come here. So we came through El Paso, Texas, and then we ended up in Utah. And I just remember that day kind of being a little shy (laughs) and really like 
meeting a bunch of strangers that I knew were my family, but I had never met before. Probably both exciting and a little bit scary. Yes. Yes, yeah. it was. Did, did you, did you speak English at the time no. at all? No, my well, mom, my mom tried to, um, she put me in English classes when we were in Ciudad Juarez, but it was just the basic things like learning your numbers, colors, things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it was in July that you came over. Did you start school the next, you know, August, September? Yeah. Yes, I did. What was that like starting school and not knowing the language? Um, so I remember the first day um, that we went to school, you know, how they usually have like parent teacher night and you go in and they tell you this is where your homeroom's going to be, your teacher, so you can meet everyone. And we went that night. They had a folder for me with my name. And then I remember my um, teacher, she told me to pick out a book. And then I was thinking, well, I don't know how to speak English. Why am I going to pick out a book if I'm not going to be able to understand what it what it says? And I, I just pick, picked out this book from like a big shopping cart. And then I just started reading it. I had no idea what it said, but I think that really helped me pick up the language and everything. Um, and then once school started, that was really difficult. Um, they paired me up with someone else who um, also spoke Spanish. And then she turned out to be my best friend, still my best friend after 18 years. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Yes. Where were you? What school did you go to? So I went to Mountain View Elementary. Um, and that's, um, it used to be out on 12th Street. That's where OPA is now. Oh, yeah. Okay. My yes. kids went to OPA yes. there for, for a little while. So right here in, in, in the heart of Ogden. In Ogden, yes. And the girl you were matched up with school on the first day, I would imagine she spoke uh, Spanish and English. Yes. And so she was kind of there to help you out and still your best uh-huh. friend to this day. Yeah. Yeah. I tease her all the time because I tell her sometimes she, you wouldn't even translate things for me. And I think she would kind of get irritated, but I'm like, it's fine. You were 10. <laughs> I didn't hey, expect was, you to know everything. You. She was pushing you to learn the language, I guess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, so tell me, what are you, what are your, what's your family doing at this time? What's your family doing for work as they moved to Utah? Your grand, your grandpa was a migrant worker um, mm-hmm. in California. Are they still working fields here? What, what are they doing here in Utah? Um, yeah. So now, um, you know, present day, my grandpa actually passed away last year. And so that was very difficult for our family because um, being here without a legal status, we can't just pick up and leave and, you know, go, go see him one last time. And that, I, that just kind of made me realize again, the huge sacrifice that my mom made for me and coming to, to the country because my grandpa left so that he could see his mom because he wasn't sure if she was gonna, you know, be alive by the time he decided to go back home. So he ended up leaving. Um, I think it was maybe five or eight years ago. And so, so when he, he, he left, went back. He went back home to Mexico. Mm-hmm, he went back home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and his mom has actually outlived him. So <laughs> it's kind of crazy. But you know, him going back and then um, him passing away. It was just hard for everyone because I feel like in the back of your mind, you already know that that's going to happen at some point and you're not going to be able to say your final goodbyes. And that is actually, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but like when DACA first came in, 
you really didn't have travel restrictions, too many travel restrictions. You could definitely go home for funerals and things like that under President Obama. Is that correct? Yes, you had um, AP, so advanced parole, where you could go um, and just had to basically be signed off by a judge. And then you could go home for humanitarian reasons or um, job opportunity, something along those lines, or a family emergency. The attorney that helps us renew our DACA, he's advised since President Trump came into um, the White House that it's not a good idea to try to do that right now. So it, it really wasn't an option when my grandpa passed away. That's really hard. You know, mm-hmm. you, your grandpa was the person who uh, decided to take you know, that big step in, in coming to the United States and, and le- made it so that your whole family could be in, a, in the place where you are now, uh, probably the, the patriarch of your family, and then to not be able to uh, say goodbye. What was that like for you? Yeah, so I had actually, um, I had a four month old at that, at that time. And so I was dealing with postpartum period and then having my grandpa pass away right after. It was really hard. You know, you like I said, you kind of just expect that to, to happen at some point. So you prepare yourself. I'm very much of the person who likes to look at the big picture. And my perspective at that point was just gratitude. Because if it hadn't been for him, then I probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to be here. So. And so what were your, what were your parents doing for work? Um, so my mom in Mexico, she was a CNA. And then when we came here, Obviously, because of the documentation, she couldn't continue to do that line of work. I feel like she's given up a lot. And um, she works fast food now. She works in a fast food restaurant. A lot of times when I was in school, when I was going to middle school and then high school, she was working two jobs so that she could save up money for me to go to college. And that was really hard. She would wake up at 5 a.m., go to one job, come home, have lunch, and then go to the other job and get off till like midnight. Wow. What, mm-hmm. what an amazing woman. You know, she, uh, she was, a, she was a CNA and, and had a pretty good job in, in Mexico. What was her life like as she was a CNA there? And, and what made her decide that it was, it was right for her to, to come to the, the United States? Yeah, she did. She had a, a really good job. She worked in, um, it was a, like a community clinic, like think like midtown type of place. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the type of, um, clinic that she worked at um, and we had when we moved to Ciudad Juarez that's when she got married she had built a home with her partner and the whole time from the point when I was born till I was seven she was the only one who raised me so I grew up with a single parent and then um, she met her partner and they got married and everything but there was um, physical and sexual abuse towards me and so I think subconsciously, once we came here, like she realized that this was probably the better place for us to be. And she made that decision to not go back with him and go back home. Um, I remember when we were trying to decide if we were going to go back or not, it was um, right before, right after uh, fall break when I was in school. And um, teachers were just telling her, um, if you take her back, um, that's going to it's going to hurt her and the things that she's learned because I was picking up on the language a lot and I was learning pretty quickly. I think that was just kind of the main factor that made her decide, you know, this is where I need to be with my family and not go back to a place where there's a lot of, you know, violence. And like I said, one of the most dangerous cities in Mexico. Wow. Really, really big, hard decisions. And 
ones that, um, you know, I think people think, oh, well, they, they, you, you just want to come to America because, uh, you know, you can, you can make a better life. And, and although some, some of that's true, it's not easy, Like You're leaving your culture, you're leaving your family and and leave some of your family there. And some of your family were coming to see some of your family here, but just really tough circumstances that lead to say, this is my, my option. This is how I'm going to protect my daughter to, you know, have her have the future that I see for her. I I think that's really actually Mm -hmm. quite heroic. Again, she gave up a lot for us to be here too. And and it's just so unfortunate that she doesn't have a path to citizenship. She doesn't get to have like, like I do have a work permit, you know, have a social security. And back to my grandpa, when he came, he was here during the amnesty when that happened, like in the eighties. And so he was trying to get um, everyone legalized so that they could come and be here with him. And he was actually scammed. So all of my family started like the process but there were a lot of like, they call them notarios. And so it's just basically a public notary. And they tell people that they can help you with legal things. Um, they can process your legal paperwork so you can, you know, get your residency, this and that. But at the end of the day, what happened is that they just scammed him and he was out of money and he couldn't do anything else. Whoa. I, so mm-hmm. I don't actually know a lot of this history. There's a There was a time in the 80s where they were allowing a path to citizenship for for undocumented uh, undocumented people here in in the state. Is that right? Yes. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was President Reagan. So at some point, yeah. And some point under Reagan, and then he so he <laughs> tried to go through that process and was like going to be able to and and you think about the dominoes of that because if he was able to get get amnesty during that time and become a citizen that would have been, provided a path for your mom and mm-hmm. a path for you and like would have just totally changed all the circumstances but he got there was a lot there was scammers at the time that that scammed him and took his money right yes yeah and that's something that it's you you sometimes you want to trust people who want to help um and i think that's probably why a lot of people in our community have such a lot of trust issues with when it comes to things like that. And it's, um, it's a really important um, thing that you have to do. It's, and, and so, yeah, there's people who will tell you that they can help you with those certain things, but they have um, no legal background. They don't, you know, they're not lawyers. Wow. That's what happened to my grandpa. Wow. That that's really tough. I hadn't, I didn't know that history or know that that was a thing that happened and, and the domino effect that that played with your, with your family for sure. Let's uh, that's some really interesting history with your family and your grandpa and the way that they were able to um, just navigate tough circumstances. Uh, how you're, so you're growing up here and you start to, to, go through school, through school and graduate school. Did you end up trying to go to college? What, what, what was your future like? Yeah. So, um, I went to Ogden high and then I graduated in 2010. Like I said, my mom was working two jobs so that I could eventually go to college. Um, I did. You ever get... have, did you ever have Mrs. Carver? Yes. Yes. That's I my think... mom. That's your mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She teaches math, right? Yes, you got it. Yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I think I did. That's awesome. That's super funny. Sorry, side side track. Keep going. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, you know, I graduated. um, I was really excited. And I always had people who 
I guess were hyping me up. <laughs> I, you know, counselors, teachers, everyone always just saw my potential, I guess. And um, my counselor, um, Monica Rodriguez, she still works out in at Weber State, but she was working at Ogden High and she told me, you know, going to college is not impossible. You can do this. Um, let's try to figure out what, what we need to do so that you can go. And so I applied for a couple of scholarships, the ones that were available to um, someone in my position and I didn't get them. So then we had money, some money saved and I went to Weber State part-time. Um, I initially wanted to do social work. So I was just doing you know, my general credits, but it ended up getting very expensive. So after two years of going part-time, I was maybe taking, um, the most I took was three classes in one semester, just because of how expensive it was. And then after that, I just decided, you know, it's, I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know if I get my degree, I'm not gonna be able to work. So what is the point of me going to school? And um, I had been at this time, you know, I was getting a lot like really into social media and I started getting, um, I was more in contact with my mom's family who was still in Mexico. And so I started talking to them and just telling them, you know, this is what the situation is here. Um, what if I was to go back and then I can go to school out there. And, and then at this same time was when I met my husband and he's, he has really big dreams. And even though we're in the same position, he was never like, you know, this should be a reason why you need to quit or why you should give up. I just decided, you know, I'm going to keep going to school. And then I just went to the ATC for a little bit and then um, just took a math class. But then that's when DACA happened. So DACA happened. And how did that change? How did that change things for you? And did you, were you able to, to did you decide to keep going to school or... What, what happened with that? I was just taking some math classes at the um, tech college here. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do at that point, because at, at this point I was in my early 20s. I was, yeah, 20. And so I was just trying to figure out, you know, do I want to go back to school? Um, and now I have a work permit. I can actually, you know, get a better job. So then that was my next step. Okay, let, let's try to figure out, you know, what I can do what line of work I can get in with this new opportunity that I have. So I started working for um, one of the big credit unions here in the state. And that was just kind of like, oh man, like, is this the American dream? You know, like working in the corporate world and doing all the things. I felt like I was in the office. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So you, yes. and all of that was made possible as President Obama signed into action, uh, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, and it, it gave you, it allowed you to get this, this job and start making a career. Is, is that how that kind of worked? Yes, yeah. And what was then, that like? What was that sense of, was, was there a sense of relief? Was there a sense of freedom? What was, what, what was that like for you to be able to start to feel like, oh, I could start chasing some of my dreams? It, it really gave me hope because like I said, I was going to school and I was determined, you know, to get a degree or do something. But then I was like, slowly losing that, losing that light, losing that spark of what I wanted to do and really feeling like maybe this wasn't the place where I needed to be. And so once DACA happened, I remember um, my I was with my husband and we were dating at that time and I was sitting um, on his couch and watching the news and they were talking about it. And 
I think it had been announced early in the morning, but then I went over to his house and we were just um, watching the news and I started crying. And my father-in-law, he likes to tease me a lot. And he, he's like, oh, you're finally going to be able to help your mom so she can quit one of her jobs. And oh my gosh, the waterworks <laughs> when he said that, because that was just, you know, like I can finally help her. I can finally do something that's really going to make a difference for our family. Wow. That means so much to hear that story. And it just shows to us that, you know, these, these policies, this, the politics, the things really affect people's lives in a real dramatic way. Your mom who had been, you know, working multiple jobs and trying to make things work and, and for, for your father-in-law to say that and for you to feel that and experience that, oh, but yeah, maybe I can contribute here in a way that I couldn't before and, and things are going to get easier for my mom must mm-hmm. have been a really amazing experience. What was it like for your husband? What was he, what was he thinking and going through at the time? We were both excited. And I think that kind of made it so that we took the leap into wanting to get married. Yeah, because I... I really feel like, you know, we had a lot to think about being in the same position, um, like Alfredo talked about in, in your previous podcast, in your previous episode, just knowing where you stand in this country, and then maybe sometimes thinking, well, if I married a citizen, then I would have more opportunities, but then are you really doing it for the right reasons? And did you, you know, guys have like, that conversation, the two of you, like, as you're dating and like, you're in love, but like, you know, if we happen to marry a citizen, maybe this was, our life would be easier. Did you guys, did you guys yes. talk about that? Like jokingly, we would always do it. And I don't know if other people in our position have done it before, but I feel like it's something that, you know, would constantly come up. And even people who I dated before him, they would tell me that, like, if you marry me, then I can do this for you. But I, I, it was just like, no, <laughs> that's not okay. <laughs> Yes. And yeah. And so you fall in love with your husband and you guys just are like, well, we're in love and we're just going to, we're going to keep going through uh, and, and working together to, to make it here, make a life here. Yes. Yeah. So that, that was a big thing for us for sure. And so what was it like as you're able to experience, I mean, we we're just talking about these highs as you start to experience DACA and what was it like, uh, you know, Trump comes in and runs on a terrible anti-immigration policies and, and, and a campaign that drives him. It, it was that campaign that drove him to the White House and that mm-hmm. sort of rhetoric around immigration. He promised to end DACA. He promised. And so when he, when he got elected, what was that night like for you in the next, in the next couple of days, thinking about that for you and for your family? Yeah. So that night, um, as we as we were watching the polls and just the numbers, it was really heartbreaking. So we didn't even finish watching. We didn't finish. Um, we didn't see the results that night. We decided, okay, let's go to bed. Um, and just to kind of backtrack, so that year when he um, became president, um, 2016, or when he was elected, my husband and I decided to purchase our first home. And so, you know, that was another high. We were really excited, pretty proud wow. of ourselves for making that happen. Um, and you, and was DACA part of that because you were, because you were a DACA recipient, were you able to take part in federal, federal loans and, and things like that? Yes. Um, during that time, I was able to do that. Um, 
you can't do that. You no longer can take advantage of um, an FHA loan. If you want to buy a house, you have to have three to 5% down. So if you're a DACA recipient, if you don't have documentation uh, and you want to buy a house, you have to have um, anywhere from 10 to 20% down, which I mean, if you don't own a home already, that's going to be nearly impossible, and especially in a seller's market like the one we have. So that's something that changed is, is what you're saying is that when DACA, the way it was originally constructed, um, you were able to, to buy a home in, in 2015, is that what you said? 2014? Um, 2016. 2016, before, mm-hmm. before, before Trump was president, mm-hmm. you were able to buy a home, you were able to take a part in FHA loans, get uh, with very little down, be able to get a mortgage. The American dream, right? I mean, like yes. that's how you start to build wealth and, and build the American dream is, is a, for your home. For most Americans, that's how um, we're able to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that changed, you said that, that changed under, um, and, and how, did, how did you come to find that out? Um, so I found out, um, I am a real estate agent and I found out helping one of our clients last year and she was um, gonna buy a brand new house, um, they had her pre-approved for this FHA loan. We're getting like pretty close to closing on her house. We're like a week and a half away. And then we find out that she can't get the loan because FHA is no longer available. And they had stopped um, issuing those types of loans um, in June of 2019. But no one had an idea because it's not something that you come across every day, I guess. That's so recent. Who who makes those decisions? Who, who was... The way it put the screws to that and said, okay, DACA is no longer uh, able to receive FHA loans. Yeah, so this was um, Ben Carson is who's under HUD right now. And so they're um, trying to, I guess, remove that restriction again because it is a violation of fair housing the way that I look at it. You have a social security number. If you are credit worthy, um, which is what they use when they're going to give you a loan. If you have good credit, if you have a job, then you should be able to have a home. And most people I know are not just going to walk away from this country if they've lived here all their lives. And, and now if they own a home, they're not going to just walk away from that huge investment that they've made. So if that's the reasoning of why they're not giving FHA loans, then it just makes no sense to me. But Well, you know, this is one of those things, like, right? Like elections matter. And it matters for people's lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, the good news is, is we've, we've had a new election and hopefully some of these policies uh, will be able to be reversed in the next year. And uh, yeah. we'll start to see um, those uh, like yourself be able to, uh, you know, participate in FHA loans and get mortgages and continue that American dream. Because that's what, I mean, that's what dreamers are. They're undocumented Americans. And, and um but let's go back. Let's go back to you. So tell, let me tell me about your career. You're you're working at the the at the credit union. You're 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 living the dream, and and you decide to step into real estate. <laughs> tell me about that. How did that yeah. happen? Yeah. Um, so that was part of my husband's big dream. Um, he always wanted to. Um, he talked about like flipping houses or maybe getting into real estate, and so um, I had the opportunity to become a. Um, an assistant for an agent here in Weber County. And then that was when um, a year after, I believe, after um, Donald Trump was elected. And so that was going okay. And then I just decided, you know, maybe it's time that 
we try to do it on our own. And then my husband and I actually got licensed. And so that was another thing that we were able to do because of DACA. And did you, so did you just quit your job and say, I'm going in, I'm going in full steam? Like, no, no, (laughs) (laughs) I, I didn't. So for the first um, two years, I was doing both jobs. And then the first year I was pregnant. And so that was, you know, another job, keeping myself with enough energy so I could be doing both and everything. Um, And and then also because I had the health insurance through my full-time job, that was one thing that was um, kind of, you know, keeping me from making that big decision. And um, then I actually just quit my job in November. It was getting too much. It was very stressful. And now with a toddler, having to juggle both things and then having my son. Um, So I just decided, you know, I I need to do this. And then the pandemic too, just kind of everything happened at once. And so um, I took, I really made that decision and I just wanted to do real estate full time. Um, And then before um, quitting, I was shopping around for health insurance, trying to figure all of that out. And um, I couldn't figure out like whether I could um, qualify since we were getting close to, you know, open enrollment, getting Obamacare, one of those plans so that we could be covered. Um, then I quit my job. I was in transition, getting all of those things arranged. And because you put your information in that you're shopping for health insurance and you get a bunch of phone calls every single day. And I was getting a a bunch of phone calls from different agents and one of them tried to sign me up. And then he asked me the question, are you a resident of the United States or a citizen? And I told him, well, I'm neither, but I do have a social security number and I am allowed to be here in the country. And he told me, well, if we answer um, no to this question, then you automatically um, are disqualified from being able to get any of these plans. And so that was just kind of a shock. And I was so distraught for like probably a whole week, just trying to figure out, well, what am I going to do? Because for the last four four or five years, I have been so privileged to have health insurance. And now I was just trying to figure out what can I do to have that coverage. Um, and I actually was able to reach out to the person that you referred me to. And yeah, he so I me- actually... Uh, this is how I found out that you were uh, you were a dreamer. I saw your post on yeah. <laughs> uh, on Facebook, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, I first of all, I was like, "Nah, sure, surely a, a DACA recipient can get care through, can get insurance through Obamacare." Like, yeah, of mm-hmm. co- of course they can. And it turns out you can't. And yeah, you know, like for a, for a person who owns their own business, like myself, like that it, that's the only way that I could afford you know, mm-hmm. insurance at the time, like when Obamacare came and I was able to take advantage of, of government subsidies and buy into the program, it, it, it allowed me to actually afford insurance for really the first time in my, in my adult life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it's not great insurance, but it was, you know, it, it's there and it's a, it's a fail safe for me. And we've taken advantage of it uh, on, on multiple occasions. Um, so I was, you know, this something that I, you know, when I, when I hear this, I'm like, oh, we, we got to get you signed up. We, we can get you signed up. And yeah. so I, I put you in touch with Jason and, and what, what was that? What did that, how did that conversation go? Um, so I told him my, um, the circumstances 
you know, I let him know where, where I was at with everything. And he checked with one of the providers that um, he signed me up for. So we were able to get insurance, but it's short term. So I, it's just accidental. So if some, you know, we go, we get in a car wreck or something, then that's when that insurance comes into play. Um, but the reason why we can't just, I guess, lie when we're applying for health insurance and then just get Obamacare is because if there is at some point a path for citizenship for um, DACA recipients, then um, you can lose that right to even apply. There's people who have had to self-deport because they lied in their applications and they said that they were U.S. citizens or residents when they were not. So that, you know, um, yeah. Yeah, and so you're able to get insurance, but it's not kind of full coverage insurance mm -hmm. uh, with all the protections that are built into Obamacare. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you think about the passage of that law and, and you know, it did amazing things for me, uh, but in, in providing coverage for people with pre-existing conditions and, and, and uh, allowing people, those people who are more sick to get coverage, it raised the price of insurance dramatically. And so then for you to have to go try to buy that insurance, it's more expensive. Mm -hmm. So this law that passed, not only can you, can you not participate, but it adversely affected you in, in having to try to go out and buy um, some insurance. Yeah. So, and, and then, like you said, it doesn't, the one that we were able to get the, the coverage that we have, it doesn't um, cover any pre-existing conditions. So you just hope that you never have to use it and that you don't get extremely ill where you now have cancer or, you know, something. Cause they could kick you off up. essentially if, if, yeah. if that happened. Right. Is that, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it won't cover, it won't cover anything like that. And um, now having my son, um, he's had this small cyst behind his ear for, we found it maybe when he was like five months. And so um, last year we took him out to primaries just to check on it. Um, the surgeon said, it's fine. As long as it doesn't grow, then he doesn't need to get it removed. And then we, we, we went this month um, and she looked at it and she said, yes, it's growing. So now it would be a good idea if he gets it removed. And so we have this health insurance that does nothing for that. Um, and so now we're trying to figure out what we're gonna do as far as like getting that um, surgery done because also we're, we're self-employed. Um, I don't think that we're in the income bracket where we would be able to qualify for Medicaid because he is a US citizen. He can take advantage of that, but we don't know and if that's gonna be an option. Your son is an American is an American citizen, mm -hmm. right? He was born yes. here, and he like there's not a there's not a plan uh, for for you to get insurance through him through Obamacare. I mean, it's all kind of built into family plans, right? So, is mm -hmm. that how it works? Yes, that's what I was told the entire time, and it's it's such a disservice to when I was trying to shop around for this because no one knew really how to help me, um, even calling the Obama care line, the ACA line that they have. Um, and I talked to someone in their customer service and I told them my situation. She didn't know what DACA was. Wow. And so, and again, it's like a big thing because if I just go out and get it and lie on the application, then 
that can hurt me down the road. And so where, where, where are we able to get these resources? Where are we able to get our questions answered when we reach out to the people who should know, but they don't know. And trying to get care for your son. I'm mean, get the, the, the supplemental insurance you have doesn't necessarily cover his surgery. Is that correct? Right. Because it's a, it, in the, the surgeon called it an elective surgery. So it's not something that needs to happen right away, but I mean, he's my son and I love him. And so I want to make sure that he's okay. Yeah. You're like, wait, so you yeah. recommend it, but it's not, but it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what, do you, what does that mean exactly? You know? <laughs> yes. So yeah, that's, that's, that's really tough. It's really tough and, and really unfortunate. You know, I think a lot about how and why there's not further protections for, you know, undocumented Americans like yourself. And there has been, you know, this is a very popular issue. You know, I mm-hmm. think it's the polls say something like 80% of Americans, 80% of Americans want a path to citizenship for dreamers. And for some reason, uh, our broken Congress cannot figure it out. Yeah. And it's, it's really sad. And like, I think this is part of why I want to tell these stories is because the, it, it affects real people, real Americans lives in real ways. And, and you've been able to show us that through um, whether it's trying to get a house um, right now, you, you can't get a, you can't get an FHA loan. You got to have, you know, you know, 10, 20% down in order to get a loan. You got to, whether it's trying to get insurance, which is a mm-hmm. big deal, your healthcare, you know, it's a very big deal. What other ways has, has, has it affected you as uh, Trump has come in and sort of taking away some of the protections and uh, that were associated with DACA? How else has that affected you? Yeah. So, when um, going back to when he was elected that day, I remember going to work and I was just so, so um, overwhelmed with emotions. And I remember I cried at work. And obviously, um, I don't think people thought that the election was a reason why I was crying. So um, I even remember that day, my coworkers made me a card with like cute little quotes and things and just saying like I hope your day gets better and this and that but no one really asked what was going on that kind of started everything where I felt like my emotional health took a toll it took a toll on my emotional health and my mental health even just once that happened deciding on whether my husband and I wanted to start a family Um, and that's when um, you know two years back um, kids started the children at the border started getting separated from their families when they were crossing and so that was always at the top of my mind. Well, what if I get pregnant and I have a baby and now this can happen to me? It's just things that you have to think about. And I wish we didn't have to worry about something like that. And just everything that has slowly escalated, um, you know, with Black Lives Matter, uh, people of color. Um, I know that my my struggles are not the same as a Black person, but um, just seeing everything, all of the violence, racism, and all of those things have really taken a toll on my mental health. And, um, but, you know, I, I looked for resources to get the help that I needed. I started therapy, which is something super important, because I think it's such a taboo subject to talk about. 
and even in our culture, it's it's something that people don't really address. And I was talking to my therapist about this and she asked me, well, why don't you think it's something that you guys take care of? And I was, you know, it took me a couple of sessions to come back to that answer. And I told her, people in, in my position, if you're undocumented, you're probably not going to have the health care that you need to realize I can go to a doctor, I can talk to them, I can you know, ask for help because you don't have the resources. You don't know where to look for that. It's it's really unfortunate that it's come to this. I know that I'm sure you've read in the headlines, young people who have had to be deported who have died by suicide when they get back home because they've always lived here and they go back to a place that they've never known. And what are they supposed to do? place that they never know, a place that they, a culture they don't really probably fit into and yeah, just tragic, tragic. Yes. Thank you for sharing, being vulnerable and sharing that experience and that these experiences took a toll on your, on your mental health and that you reached out and sought care and sought help from a therapist. How, how did it impact you? How did it help you as you got, went through therapy and were you able to work through some things? How did it affect you and your family? It's really helped me in in a sense where I know because it's more of like my anxiety and just always wanting to be in control of things and I know that in this specific situation I have there's nothing I can do you know if something happens if DACA goes into you know a hearing again and they have to rule on it again um, that I really can't do much about it and so it's just taking those steps and knowing that things will hopefully work out for the best and to just continue doing what I can to make a difference in my community. And, and that I think that's probably one, one of the big reasons why I went into real estate because I feel like in a way I am making a difference and I'm advocating for people in my community, people and, um, you know, Hispanic people, um, making sure that they understand that they have options um, and just putting myself out there, being being that avenue for others, I guess, and advocating them in anything that I can. I love that. I love that. So listeners out there, if you need a real estate agent, Denise and her <laughs> husband, I don't even know your husband's name. Uh, his name is Omar. Omar. <laughs> Denise <laughs> and Omar are your people and they will help you and, and find a home for you. <laughs> Oh, thank you. <laughs> Seriously, Denise, thank you so much for, for sharing your story and your experience. I personally learned a lot. And is there anything else you would like the listeners to know about your experience or the experience of an undocumented American like yourself? Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on again. And I think that the biggest thing that we need to think about is, I don't know if you read or listen to Brene Brown, um, but Love she's Brene. my favorite. Yes, she's my favorite. And um, in one of her books, I think um, it's Braving the Wilderness, I think, or I don't know, one of the recent ones, but she talks about um, the dialogue that we're all having and just never really giving each other the time to listen to what the other person has to say and trying to open up our minds, putting ourselves maybe in another person's shoes, having that empathy. I think that would go a long way. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Denise. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah. And that's it for the show today. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Denise. Want to thank her so much for coming out and sharing that story. We also want to thank Decker Yazi for our, our, our 
our artwork. That is so hard to say. Have you ever tried our artwork? It is very hard to say. I'm gonna have to say that differently. And August the Great for our theme music. Really appreciate them and lending their talents to us. Also smash that subscribe button, rate us on iTunes, do all the things, share it with a friend. Have a great weekend. Community Spread is a Deep State Media production. It's produced by me, Kevin Lundell, and directed and edited by Dan Martinez.